kids and our leaders to make their way to the front. They're going to head upstairs for our kids' crew worship time, which is a time of worship designed specifically for our children, where we present the truths of the gospel on their level in a way that is, is designed to connect with them. We're going to be in John chapter 1 today. Over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to look at some passages in the Gospels where we see this phrase, come and see, come and see. And even in the passage that we look at this morning, we'll actually see two different times this phrase, come and see. It's an invitation to behold, an invitation to participate, an invitation to join, not only in, in seeing who Christ is, but ultimately in surrendering our lives to him. And so we want, we want to see this invitation to participate in the, the divine as we, through faith, trust in Jesus and become together participants in all of all the, the richness, all the grace, all the mercy made available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of us have followers on social media, and, and you may have a few or you may have many, but there are a variety of different social media platforms where if you want to connect with someone else, if you want to see what it is that they're sharing or in order for them to see what you're sharing, you have to follow them and you get a follow back, right? It's you follow each other in the sense that you essentially, they give you permission to see their posts and, and you give them permission to see their posts. And, and sometimes because of, of the way that we operate and kind of in that modern space online and social media, digital world, the, the metaverse, if you will, sometimes we, we tend to perhaps overemphasize, maybe even overvalue those relationships, if we can, I, that's kind of a stretch in a sense to call those relationships, but I guess they are in some level a, a, a type of a, a relationship. The truth is we all know that connecting with someone online is not the same as connecting with someone in the flesh, right? It's not the same as seeing them face to face. You can know a lot about them through seeing them online, but you don't really know someone until you get to know them in the flesh, in person. Now, I realize that that makes me, I've just dated myself by putting that out there on the table, right? I mean, I, I understand that uh, I, that makes me kind of the old man, right? The, hey, get off my lawn, you know, oh, you don't have real relationships if you're not seeing, you know, you're not connecting with, I realize that. And, and I'll just own that, okay? I'll own that gladly because I think there's something really powerful, really special and important about connecting with people in person. Yes, we can, we can engage, we can follow each other online, we can stay connected online, but it's not the same as having a, a real relationship. My kids... Sometimes when I talk this way, my kids have given me a grandpa nickname, and uh, it's the nickname Grumps. And so I don't know. I mean, we're hopefully still many years away from being grandparents, but I think I'm afraid that when I become a grandpa someday, my grandpa nickname, may, my grandpa name may be Grumps, uh, because I get called Grumps from time to time when I talk this way. But I'm just going to go full Grumps this morning and embrace that. That uh, I think there's something really powerful and special and important to having a, a real connection and in the flesh, real relationship with someone. And what I want us to see this Advent season is that we can have a real relationship with Jesus by faith. Now, 
Admittedly, admittedly, we don't see Jesus in person. And, and so, you know, maybe you would want to make the argument, no, Michael, it's not the same because we don't see Jesus. And yet we, we have a real relationship with him by faith because he's made himself known to us. He has revealed himself to us. And then he has extended to us this invitation that we're going to study over the next few weeks. Come and see. Come and see. You want to know if Jesus is the real deal? You want to know if, 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 if Jesus has the power to transform? You want to know if, if he is everything that we hope for him to be? Come and see. And my hope is that as we look to Jesus this year during the season of Advent, we will see him for all of his glory, all of his worth, all of his goodness, all of his power in our lives as we understand what it means to come and see. And so, a little bit of background before we dig into our passage. We're going to begin in John chapter 1, verse 35. But John chapter 1, verse 35 is happening in the midst of a sort of a story, a situation. So you have in the first half of John chapter 1, John, that's why we call this the gospel of John, is because it was the apostle John or the disciple named John who is the one who wrote this gospel. So it just bears his name. It's the, the gospel of John, the good news, the story that John tells of Jesus. And as John is telling his story, the first, the first half, the first 28 verses of John chapter 1, he devotes to sort of this really, really glorious and, and even poetic uh, telling of, of Jesus and his incarnation, that he's come into the world. John chapter 1 verse 1 begins with, in the word was the beginning. Uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was in the beginning. He was with God, and, and, and he was God. And, and, he, and he goes on to tell us in verse 14, and he became flesh, and he dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory. In verse 12, he told us that to everyone who believed in him, who called on his name, he gave the right to become sons of God. And, and so it's this beautiful picture of the birth, the, the advent, the coming of Jesus. And then in verse 29, the scene shifts, and John begins to tell some of Jesus' story. Now, he's skipped over a big part of Jesus' life, as the Gospels do oftentimes, because the Gospels have a purpose, and that is to point to Christ for the purpose of faith. John even tells us as much, by the way, if you go to the very last verse of John chapter 20, he tells us that I've written these things so that you may believe, that we may believe in Jesus. And, and so there's more that he could have told, he says, but he's given us this specific information that we may believe in this Jesus. And so he begins to tell the story, and he picks up the story of Jesus' life and ultimately his ministry with John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is not John the Apostle. They're two different Johns, two different guys named John. John the Baptist was actually a cousin of Jesus, a distant cousin. Jesus' mother, Mary, and John's mother, Elizabeth, were cousins. And so John and Jesus were, were cousins. And John the Baptist, who was a little older than Jesus, uh, about a year, roughly, and a little, maybe not quite a year, but uh, about a year older than Jesus, John the Baptist had this unique ministry that the book of Matthew tells us is connected to Malachi's 
prophecies. In the book of Malachi, we see these prophecies about one who would come before Jesus, who would declare, make straight the paths of the Lord. Matthew tells us that that was John, that John himself was the one that declared these things. And so John has this unique ministry of baptizing people, and Jesus even presented himself to John for baptism. Now, Jesus didn't present himself to John for baptism because he had sinned and he needed cleansed of his sins, but rather his baptism was symbolic of the the inauguration, if you will, the beginning of his public ministry. That's kind of the point, maybe not the singular, but one of the the key points of, of how we know that Jesus has inaugurated, has begun his earthly ministry. And we see some of that taking place in John chapter 1, just before where we pick up. And then in verse 35, we pick up a series of events that take place the very next day, the day after Jesus' baptism. And so, if you will, day one of his ministry, this is what we see take place in in Jesus' ministry. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. John had followers. That's what a disciple is, a follower. John had followers, and he's standing with his disciples. In verse 36, and he looked as at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. There's the first instance of this come and see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, which you, if you look at the footnote, that means it's about 4 o'clock. It's in the afternoon. The day is long, we could say. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. His, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so here we find Jesus calling his 
disciples, not all of his disciples. We know there are 12 that we commonly refer to as the, the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles, right? These, are, these were the 12 that Jesus invested in. But here Jesus is calling a few of his disciples. And so the first thing Jesus does as he begins his earthly ministry is he, he calls a special group that he's going to invest in, to pour himself in. He, he, he surrounds himself with a few men, and he says to them, I want you to follow me. He, he offers them the invitation even to follow me. Be my disciples. Be my followers. That's rich in a lot of significance and, and a lot of meaning that I want us to unpack this morning as we think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this isn't like a social media follower where it's someone that you know, someone that you, you understand, you see what they want you to see because, right, isn't that really what social media is anyway? It's kind of this curated reality that we, we post the things that we want people to see, we create. And Jesus is saying, come live with me. Come be with me. Come live life beside me. Follow me. Get to know my teaching. And, and, and you, might, you might become my disciples. And these men accept the invitation. The, the very first two that responded to Jesus were initially followers of John the Baptist. One of those was Andrew. It's interesting that we don't know the identity of the other from this passage. Some believe that perhaps it was John himself because John is writing of these things. And so John speaks with a unique perspective. How would he have known those things unless he was in fact one of the two that was called? That's, I think, probably perhaps the most plausible explanation of who the other one is, but we don't know for sure. It could be anybody. Some others think that maybe it's Philip because then we see in the following verses, the next day Jesus goes to Philip and, and Philip responds to him. Whatever the case may be, we know that these men hear Jesus extend the call, extend the invitation, and they receive that invitation. My hope today is that we will receive the invitation to follow after Jesus, and that we'll see that the way we follow him is by surrendering our lives to him by faith. A disciple is a follower. That's what a disciple is. These men who become Jesus's disciples. It, literally, it means a student, and that's kind of an important loaded term that we'll unpack together in a few minutes, but it means that someone who follows or someone who learns from, someone who takes upon themselves sort of the teaching and embraces the teaching, the ministry of someone. And that's what we see here. Jesus calling his disciples, calling, calling the first of his followers. And what we see is that by following Jesus, their lives are transformed. The same is true of us today, that when we follow Jesus by faith, when we become his followers, his disciples, by placing our faith in Jesus, that it has the power to transform form our lives. And so I want us to approach this text by looking at it from this angle of what we learn from these disciples that will help us in our own discipleship, if you will. What we learn from these followers of Jesus who receive this invitation, come and see, that would be informative for us, transformative even for us as we seek to follow after him. The first thing that we see is that following Jesus fulfilled the disciples' desires. It fulfills their desires. We might ask, what was their desire? 
What was their desire? Well, they were looking for, they were looking for this one who was to come. That's the reason that these two disciples were following John the Baptist in the first place. John the Baptist has this unique ministry of, of baptizing people and calling them to repentance from their sin, but also speaking as the voice in the wilderness that would cry out, prepare the way, make straight the paths of the Lord, which is what the prophet Malachi, some 400 plus years before this, had prophesied. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and there's a period between Malachi and the beginning of the gospel stories that we refer to as the intertestamental period. That just means the space and time between the last book of the Old Testament and the beginning of the story of the New Testament. And 400 years, a little more than 400 years goes by in this intertestamental period of time. And so for 400 years, as a people, Judah has waited for the fulfillment. For 400 years, they've been waiting for this one, this Elijah, this, this figure who would, who would be the person to come and make way for the Messiah. See, the Messiah was the figure that they longed for, the one that they waited for, the, the Christ. And that word, Messiah, the word Christ, means the anointed one, the one that, that Isaiah had prophesied about, the one that Amos, the one that Micah, the one that the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they, they told of one who was to come, a Messiah, a chosen one, an anointed one of God who would come and who would establish his people. And that's what the disciples were waiting for. Their desire was for the Messiah to come. Their desire was for what John the Baptist was saying to be true, to in fact be true, to be a reality. The, the, the moment had come, the Christ had come, the Messiah, the chosen one. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus is that figure. They recognize Jesus to be that figure, and yet in so many ways, Jesus does not fit their expectations. I really wrestled with the right word to include here, because I'll, I'll just tell you that when I was first working my way through this text and, and trying to lay out sermon points and, and arrange the message, the first word that I had here was the word expectation. Following Jesus fulfilled the disciples' expectation. But I struggled against that word because the reality is he, he didn't meet their expectations. Jesus didn't fulfill what they expected the Messiah to be. Though they expected a Messiah to come, though they longed for a Messiah to come, Jesus was unlike the Messiah that they expected. And that's the very reason why so many rejected him, why so many didn't believe. But these disciples fully embraced Jesus and they found him to be the desire of their hearts, the desire of their lives. You know, it's interesting that we see that they say to Jesus, Jesus says to them, you know, uh, what are you seeking? They left everything to follow him. They, they were following John. Jesus walks by. John declares, behold, the Lamb of God. And so they turn, and this must be the one that John's talking about. If this is the Lamb of God, then this is the one that John is speaking of. And so they, they go to follow Jesus, and Jesus asks them the question, what are you seeking? What do you desire? You know, that's a really important question for us to ask ourselves as well. What are you seeking? What do you desire? So many people, when they come to Jesus, what they're seeking, what they desire is the end of all struggle, 
the end of all the end of all uh, disappointment, the end of all the, the end of all problems, the end of their pain, and, and so many people find themselves disappointed by Jesus, not because Jesus disappoints them, but rather because their expectations are unmet because rather than looking for salvation, they're looking for a fix to their to their their actual, their earthly problems, if I can call them that, their, their material problems, their existential problems, to use an even fancier word. So many people think that following Jesus should just fix. I should never be sick. I should never have problems. I should never worry. I should never struggle. I should never be depressed. I should never... And, and that's not what Jesus promises, at least not this side of heaven. There will be a day when all our struggles and all our problems and our trials will cease. But what Jesus offers us is actually something even greater than an end to our existential problems. He offers us a solution to our sin problem. And in doing so, he, he shows us that he truly is the Christ. He truly is the Messiah, the chosen one. So following Jesus fulfilled the disciples' desire. The second thing that we see is that following Jesus formed the disciples' identity. It formed their identity. Now they no longer see themselves, these initial two, as followers of John. Now they're followers of Jesus. All of these men, all of these men that we, that we see both implicitly and, and, and explicitly in this story, right? So Andrew, Peter, Nathaniel, Philip, and then John, the storyteller, if we can add him in. At least these many, right? They recognized Jesus as the, the, the Messiah, and, and so they become his followers. And now their identity is formed as followers, as disciples of Jesus. Look at this. It's interesting. Uh, look at verse 38. What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. They, they recognize that Jesus has a way. You see, in this day and time, Jewish men were raised in a, a system that was meant to identify rabbis, rabbinic teachers. A rabbi was a teacher, a teacher of the law. And so all, well, most, the vast majority of Jewish boys would begin school, would begin formal education around the age of five, around the age that we begin formal education. And they would be, they would be educated in the Torah until the time that they reached about the age of 12, which was when the bar mitzvah would happen. The bar mitzvah was sort of like the official ride into manhood. And along the way, those that had a particular aptitude for for the law, for the study of the law, would then be identified as candidates to become rabbis. And so at the age of 12, most Jewish boys would begin to apprentice a trade. They would begin to apprentice. We know that Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was a carpenter. And so at the age of 12, Jesus would have uh, apprenticed with Joseph. But some Jewish boys those that showed the highest level of aptitude in the study of the law would, would, be, would be commissioned or, or chosen to become rabbis. And they would enter into a more formalized system of education. We might think of it as secondary education. It's not exactly the same as our secondary education system, but nonetheless, it's a, a, another level of formal education. And so most 12-year-old boys at that point go on to study and learn a trade, but some Jewish boys would be assigned to a rabbi. And, 
you know, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's the picture of an ox and the device that was used to team oxen together. But also a yoke was what was referred to as a rabbi's teaching. And so there were rabbis who had a way, a, a way of teaching. They had disciples, they had students who would sit under them, who would learn from them, interns, if you will, right? Who would learn from them, learn their system and their way of, of teaching of the law. This was known as their yoke. And those students would apprentice or learn under a rabbi that they might someday become a rabbi, a, a teacher of the law in their own right. Now, because there is so much of Jesus's life that we don't know, particularly in those adolescent years, we don't know specifically if he entered into this formal system of instruction or if he apprenticed under Joseph. We, we, we don't know. Some of those details are left hazy for us. But nonetheless, what we do know is this, is that the followers of Jesus, they recognized in him a teaching that was uncommon, that was unlike others. His way, his teaching, his, because Jesus came with the ultimate message of salvation, did he not? And so when when they say, what are you seeking? And they say, Rabbi, teach us, be our rabbi, be our teacher, be the one who would, who would instruct us. You know, it's interesting that there are several key things related to this idea of identity in this text. Look at even just the names given for Jesus here. John refers to him as the Lamb of God. We see later that he is that he is a rabbi, which means that he is a teacher. If we keep going, we see that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, the Christ. And even later, we recognize him to be Son of Man. And so all of these are, are important. All of these are, are, are loaded ideas, but it all is pointing to the fact that Jesus truly was. He truly was the Messiah. He truly was God's chosen one. We know him to be God in the flesh, even as we sang this morning, Emmanuel, which means God with us. He was God with us, God in flesh. And what John is trying to do here in telling the story of Jesus is helping us to identify that there was something different, something unique about Jesus, that he was different from all other teachers. And of course, that thing that set him apart, that thing that made him different is that he was. The word became flesh. He was, in fact, Emmanuel with us, the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one. Yes, a rabbi, but not just any rabbi. He was the son of God and the son of man. And because these disciples followed Jesus, their lives were transformed. And we see that even today, when we follow Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, our lives are transformed as well. You think about what does it mean to follow Jesus today? Well, much like in the day of Jesus, when someone would follow a rabbi, they would, they would do what that rabbi instructed. They would follow his teaching. They would, they would follow his instruction. That's what it means to follow Jesus today, is that we follow his instruction. Where do we find his instruction? We find his instruction in the Bible, in his word that's been given to us so that we would know him, that we could know him by faith and live the way that he's called us to live. And so to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, it ought to form and inform our identity 
as it transforms our life. And then ultimately, we see that following Jesus fueled the disciples' hope. It fueled their hope. So following Jesus fulfills their desire. Following Jesus forms their identity. Following Jesus fuels their hope. And now we're back to this idea of hope, of expectation, of longing, that by by following Jesus, they were willing to walk away from everything else. They were willing to walk away from, from uh, a trade, from family business, from, from home. Even Jesus says, right? We see that, that the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. So he's in one place and now he travels to Galilee and there he encounters, uh, he takes Philip who encounters Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, Nazareth, because can anything good come out of Nazareth? What an interesting thing, right? Nazareth was just a a small, out of the way, kind of a wide spot in the road. If we were going to think about, if we were going to think about Nazareth in kind of in the context of our day, it's a really small place. Uh, Don't take any offense because I don't mean anything by this, but if you think about some of the small places small places around, just to give it some, some context, right? Think of like Norge or Agawam or Tabler, these places that if you know where those places are around Chickasha, it's really not much more than just maybe the place where a couple of roads meet, right? I mean, it's just a wide, a wide place in the road. A, a sm- and, and so that's what Nazareth would have been like, just a small out of the way place. And Nathaniel is saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And what was it that Philip responded with? Come and see. Because here we find that Philip, Philip has, has bought in. He, he, has, he has surrendered to Jesus. He had submitted himself to the rabbi, to be a student of the rabbi, to be a follower of Jesus. And already we see the evidence that his life is being transformed. And he offers the same thing to Nathaniel. Come and see. Come and see this one who fulfills our desires. Come and see this one who forms our identity. Come and see this one who fuels our hope. This morning, I think we need to hear the same message. Come and see. Perhaps you you come into this place today and, and you would have a similar question. Maybe you wouldn't word it that way, right? Maybe you wouldn't word it. Can anything good come up? But maybe you walk in and you're suspicious of, is this Christianity thing, is this even real? Is this just a bunch of people who get together and they, and they just, they're trying to make themselves feel better or is there anything to this? The invitation of the scripture, and I would even go further and say the invitation of our churches, come and see. Come and see. Come and be a part. Come and worship with us. Come and see this Jesus who we have trusted in by faith, who we have submitted our lives to because he is the power to transform, to change everything. And in a moment, we're going to move into a time of response. And even today, if you're willing and ready to formalize that commitment to follow Jesus by surrendering your life to him, if you're ready today to submit your life to him, to, to become a follower of Christ, trusting in him by faith, and even as we sing this song, we want to offer to you an invitation. That's why we call this the time of invitation. We want to extend to you the invitation. Come and see. Come and follow Jesus. And so as we sing Brad will be here in the front. We would love nothing more 
than to walk you through a, a prayer of faith that you might surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. We saw this morning the testimony, the, the, the witness of three young men who have made that decision. I wonder today, are you ready to make a similar decision? Trusting in Jesus, becoming a follower of Christ by submitting yourself to his teaching, submitting yourself to him, placing your hope and your faith and your trust in him. The disciples followed Jesus as a teacher, yes, but they also followed Jesus as Messiah, the anointed one. And because they followed Jesus as the Messiah, they found Jesus to be Savior. Today, if you're ready to receive Jesus as Savior, we want to extend to you the invitation. Come and see. Come, follow this one who can transform everything about our lives. I want to ask you, if you would, just as we prepare for that time of invitation, to bow your head and close your eyes. And as we prepare for a moment of prayer here, let me encourage you, just even in this moment of quiet reflection, to ask yourself this simple question. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? If today you are ready to seek Jesus by faith, to trust him by following him, then I would just say to you, come and see. Come and surrender your life to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful that we have this invitation to come and see that you, you have invited us in, you welcome us in, that we may know you by faith. Our prayer, Lord, is that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you by faith, this might be the day. The day that they become truly a, a follower of Jesus. And so, Lord, as you speak to our hearts even now, Lord, if, if anyone senses you calling, my prayer is that, that they would respond, that they would put action to that and respond in just a moment as we sing. Move in our hearts, we pray. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing this song together.